0: uctoday.com Hello and welcome to Out Loud. Collaboration has been one of the fastest developing technology trends. The rise in uptake of collaborative tools has been dramatic. But how secure are these tools, and how do they protect privacy within enterprises? Today, I am joined by Morten Brogger, who is the CEO of Wire. Wire is arguably the world's most secure collaboration tool. So I wanted to speak to Morten to understand how their approach is different and what the basic collaboration security concerns are. I started by asking how collaboration has developed over the past few years. Have
1: a listen. I think we are the birds where collaboration changes dramatically, right? I think collaboration at work has really been about how do, we, how do we share documents, how do we share files, and how do we work together on it? I think the trend that is coming now is that the traditional form of collaboration about creating content, editing content, uh, sharing content, is being merged together with how do we communicate on a day-to-day basis, right? And the way we communicate as individuals has changed quite dramatically. Uh, You know, for work, it used to be email. And to a very large extent, email is still the primary way we communicate. But as I'm sure you know, Patrick, the way we communicate as private individuals, you know, with friends and with family is not on email. That is on some kind of. Uh, instant messaging uh tool right uh that, that we use you know I, I, I fundamentally cannot remember when i send an email to uh, to my mother or to my children i can even guarantee you if i send an email to my children they would never read and that way of communication is now being pulled into work right this this is how we want to communicate at work because it gives you this real-time uh feeling it just feels like more intuitive it feels like more real time and you just get stuff done an email always uh, feels uh, very formal to us. It's like sending a, a physical letter, right? We don't do that, it's too formal, right? Uh, An email is, is absolutely going the same way. It, it's just not the same real time way of communicating. And especially when you start communicating uh, in groups, right? You know, email could be fine one to one, but as soon as it's more than one to one, it just gets very clunky right because uh, it's so easy to lose the whole uh, thread of what is going on so what i'm trying to say is how we work together on the content that we read we work with we share we create while we're at work is merging very rapidly on how uh, with how we communicate and how we communicate is increasingly becoming a real-time chat-based communication which includes different kind of content in that real-time chat, right? And I think this is the fundamental problem that a lot of enterprises and a lot of organizations, whether that is in the private market or whether that is in the government sector, need to solve. And to be honest, Patrick, to a very large extent, it has not been solved today, in my opinion. And I've worked in collaboration for, for at least half a decade now, right? Uh, not a decade, uh, for the last five years. And what I'm saying is not really being solved. I think the fundamental problem here for a lot of the organizations, governments, uh, private, uh, small, uh, medium, or large enterprises, right, is that we as individuals tend to solve it even though it's not really solved uh, at work. And that is actually creating uh, a whole problem of what I call the shadow IT. A lot of communication for work is handled by shadow IT, and by that I mean uh, a lot of uh, employees are using consumer-based uh, chat application to, to solve uh, work. And that is not a sanctioned tool, it has, does not have the level of security uh, that the organization uh, fundamentally wants. And it's not because it's bad employees who want to compromise the security and how things work, it's actually because it's good employees, they just want to get the work done you know, with their colleagues, with their customers, with their partners, uh, and with their vendors, and this is how you get work done these days. Does this make sense to you, Patrick?
0: It absolutely does. There, there was a, there was a few things I wanted to follow up on what you're saying there, and I couldn't agree more. So the 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 change in the demand for communication tools has, has been driven, as you were saying, by the consumer world. So the rise of and the applications everyone talks about, a uh, uh, WhatsApp and iMessage and Facebook chat with these sort of instant mediums that, as you say do very well in a group scenario as opposed to email one-on-one. And it's funny that you mentioned when was the last email. Dad still does occasionally send me emails, but you're right, I never reply to them. So it, he – he re- and I don't think he's on WhatsApp yet. So that, that sort of shows that generational difference. But in terms of the shadow IT aspect – so just for an example, for, 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 from from my point of view, that would be say say I worked in an organisation and I was a, a, an engineer out on the road going to fix whatever applications that might be. If I if the IT infrastructure, the management within my organisation hadn't put together a portfolio of communication products that I felt comfortable with, if I set up a group, a WhatsApp group for example, of my other engineering friends. Not, as you said, intentionally trying to cause any problems, but just to arrange things when I'm out on the road. That effectively becomes part of the shadow IT of that organization, doesn't it?
1: Correct. It does. And it goes on. And it's, you, know, you and your colleagues doing that one. It's not because you want to basically breach any security or breach any policy. It's just because this is how work gets gets done. And it is kind of like... It's a reaction to a frustration you have because you do not have a tool who solved that exact problem for you available in the company. So this is why you, as an example here, uh, will default into, into the consumer applications and thereby we have the shadow IT problem. And and again, the problem for the companies and, and, and the wave that I see happening uh, in companies, in organizations, in government organizations today is to actually solve this, right? Because this shadow uh, IT problem has existed for quite a while. To be honest, it is my clear opinion that a lot of these organizations knows this is happening and they just turned the blind eye to it. They accepted it uh, because they didn't really know how to solve it uh, and it was going so fast and all that stuff. And this has to stop now for a lot of reasons, right? It has to stop because it is not a secure way to deal with confidential uh, information—you know the organization's confidential informations, the customer's confidential informations, your partner's confidential information—breaching confidential information is becoming very business critical, and and you know companies can go out of business if their reputation of not taking care of confidential information uh, is handled uh, the right way. And in Europe, since May 25th, we have GDPR in place. the general data protection uh, requirements that needs to be in place here as well. And a lot of those shadow IT tools uh, from the consumer uh, space actually literally reaches the GDPR requirements. Let's take an application like WhatsApp and a lot of other uh, consumer applications that we have out there. What they do and what is great for these consumer applications, they basically dive into your contact books and then they load all these contacts up into the cloud and then they actually check if these contacts have the similar application and then you can communicate with them default now if a company uh, either kind of like uh, turn the blind eye to it so they kind of like accept it or if they use it as a tool uh, it actually breaches ddpr because if your employee have contacts in their phone book of a customer or a partner with a phone number or an email address which is private data, and they have not given your con- given their explicit consent for you to upload that into a third-party application. You technically g- uh, breaches GDPR, and then you risk to be fined. I don't know how to fine government organization. I think the European Commission has not really been clear about that, but at least a private uh, company can be fined for breaching GDPR, fairly significant even. So this is why uh, things are changing. Because not only is it like okay, we turn the blind eye, we we kind of like accept it, but it's not really sanctioned. Now you actually see companies banning the use of consumer application on all for all their employees, and specifically if they have company issued phones uh, or laptops. And a great example of that, uh, Patrick, you may have seen that a, a large European based company like uh, like Continental, you know, the the German based uh, car manufacturers, yeah. with like a lot of employees. They went out very proactively and they banned the use of WhatsApp and other consumer applications on their company-issued phone for exactly this reason. They said tacitly accept- accepting the shadow IT is not good enough. It is a breach. We risk being fined. And you know the risk of being, uh, breaching the GDPR uh, is also a risk uh, for our company and our reputation going forward. So they actually went out and banned it and a lot of other European companies have done exactly the same. Uh, and, 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 and now they're trying to find the right solutions as well because banning the use of something without replacing you with something that solves the problem for the employees probably is very short-lived, right? It's going to be very hard <laughs> yeah, to keep completely. those applications off.
0: Absolutely. And, and just, uh, you're absolutely right to mention the other, and the, the reason I always use WhatsApp is because it's the mo- it's the, the most popular popular channel. but. But you, you're absolutely right. It's not necessarily that the, the communication point to point from WhatsApp to a, a friend is unsecured because it's not. They, they've done some, you know, some incredible work in the encryption, but it's more the it's, it's the compliance, isn't it? It's wh- where is that yep. data being held? And the fact that a business has effectively no idea that that data is even being held by that third party and you know, has no ability to control it or offer a, a customer the, the right to um, being forgotten or whatever the various uh, stipulations of the GDPR regulations were.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and then you and I have to remember, and so does everyone else. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say all, but everyone I know of these consumer applications, they are free. Uh, which eventually means if they need to be monetized it has to be advertisement based monetization and advertisement based monetization actually compromises privacy to to a large extent because the more you know about the use of your application uh, the better you can monetize it through uh, targeting advertisement right and if you compromise privacy it literally compromise security for the company down the road
0: yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. So e- even with these applications that seem you know so innocent and free now, you're, somewhere down the line there has to be uh, s- s- some sort of business plan to get. So so that is a, that is a really interesting point, and especially I don't know if, if you heard in the UK the whole thing we had with Cambridge Analytica and Facebook data potentially being used in ways that users had never had never particularly um, signed up to. So I, I, as an industry expert, I, I just wanted to pull back on something. How widespread do do you think Shadow IT is? I mean, I know you mentioned Continental, who obviously realized they had a problem. They've gone out and been very proactive. But is this widespread throughout enterprise and small, medium enterprises that that um, that their users, their staff, are using applications that IT haven't sanctioned and haven't professionally installed? I
1: think it is extremely widespread. You know, from a scale from from 1 to 10, I would say 9 point something. That is my industry expert uh, assessment of this. I think it's extremely widespread.
0: And, and so, with that being the case, and I know you mentioned uh, the, the Continental example of them being very proactive and going out publicly, publicly to their organisation and saying, we are banning all third party messaging applications that are not condoned by us. What? What else can businesses do effectively to, to try and regulate and, mon- uh, and prevent this? I'm assuming one of the things they can do, apart from telling everyone they don't use it, is provide tools that do comply and that users do yep. want to use in that way.
1: Yeah, that is exactly what it is. And, and, and again, first things first, to your question, yes, you have to basically provide the tools that solves the problems that your employees have of conducting their work in a manner of how problems like that get solved nowadays, right? And this is why uh, uh, unified communication uh, collaboration platforms for work is absolutely on the rise, just like wire. But let me add to that one as well, uh, Patrick here, right? One of the reasons why this hasn't happened earlier is because large organizations, whether they're in government or whether they're private companies, have a concern about security right and and again these applications clearly they're cloud-based applications but how do you basically ensure that you have the right level of security that complies with the company security uh, procedure and com- uh, security rules and this has been a problem uh, for them but this problem is now being reinforced dramatically right because we have all these cybersecurity security uh, incidents attacks cybercrime you know it has many names around this. And this yeah. is absolutely on the, on the increase, right? Just, just to give you a few statistics that I've that I read with great interest. Cyber insurance, like insuring yourself or your company or your organization against a cyber attack, is the fastest growing insurance market globally. Wow. This tells me the CEOs and the CFOs of the company are spending money to insure themselves against something. This means they actually expect it to happen. Because otherwise, why would you pay an insurance for it? If you know you're never going to have a car accident, why would you buy a car, uh, a car insurance? Yeah. And you know that there's a certain likelihood that this will happen. It's just basically when. Second, we've seen uh, we've seen a lot of these uh, big attacks, right? We see last summer, we saw the NotPetya attacks, where like the largest companies, like some of the largest pharmaceutical companies, the largest shipping company, April Miller mask has been very vocal about it transportation company, production companies, they fundamentally got hit by NotPetya, which took the IT infrastructure out. Some of these companies could not communicate internally. Their email didn't work, their phone systems didn't work, they had no access to the network, they had no access to the applications for several workdays. And they lost a lot of money.
0: And we had the, the same in the UK with, with public sector organisations. I think it was WannaCry and the, and the NHS ransomware. You know, exactly. we had entire NHS trusts down for you know IT systems down for two days.
1: Uh, exactly, and, uh, and 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 the data in there was also at risk, right? Yeah. And again, here's here's, here's another statistic I saw. This was this was from North America, right? 75% of small and medium-sized businesses in North America that got hit by ransomware is bankrupt within 12 months.
0: Wow, that's a terrifying statistic.
1: Now let's figure out how do you actually get hit by this. The main way that these attacks gets into your infrastructure is through email. You know, 93% of the, of the adult population does not recognize a phishing email. This is how they get to you. Yeah, you can you can build a lot of security and all that stuff around your email system, but this is fundamentally how they came in, and all these stories and all these statistics and all that stuff that we read about in the press, it just shows that it happens. So if you take the fact, you need to solve for the regulation, you know the GDPR compliance, you need to solve for the um, for the shadow IT elements, and you need to solve for these uh, security risks, where the main the, the, the main risk is email, right? That's how they get in. The only thing I would add is about, you know, uh, as, as I said, you know, everything can be brute force. It's just about having enough computing power and enough time, right? One of the things that, that we, you know, you, you keep reading that, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, the Chinese or whatever, they're already on all the routers and they're already collecting all the uh, all the data that, uh, that traverse through the routers uh, and if it's encrypted you can't really do anything with it even if it's encrypted uh, the way we do it you can't do anything with it because you don't have the computing power available today But we just actually we you can probably find it on our blog but we just published a, uh, an article because you know one day in the not so distant future you will have quantum computing which is very powerful Yeah, it's not next year it's not the year after next but it's maybe next, in five years time and clearly what you need to start thinking about these days is basically if people start collecting your data already now and then in four or five years they actually have the computing power uh, to, 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 to hack through the security you have. You need to think about security because you know, what can the last few years of history actually tell your competition? And now we use the word competition. But I'm sure like uh, there's also competition between
0: countries, right? That is a really interesting point and that is something I've not thought of at all. So you're saying we have to be... Conscious of, so potentially now there could be people, organisations, countries potentially stockpiling data, which effectively now is pretty redundant because the the resources required to make sense of it and utilise it in a in a in a threatening or you know aggressive way or whatever that might be don't exist, but as you said the next generation of quantum computer and i have to say more this is where my brain tops out a bit but it quantum is to do with a change in the use of binary isn't it in terms of ones or zeros a one can be both a one and a zero and once and the whole
1: the whole the whole processing architecture is completely different as well right
0: yeah and it that would massively amplify the abilities of of computers in, in terms of computing power so we have to be thinking now about that data that's out there that we're not so worried about because at the moment it's yeah. it's pretty redundant. But in in five, ten years, fifteen years, when the quantum computers are, are you know generally available and the computing power might have increased by twenty, fifty, a hundred times, that that data could be used for for something that it it, it would be a real problem. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Again, so 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 the message here, Patrick, is really about you know firstly. If you have the old form of encryption where you have one encryption key that basically encrypts everything, today you can brute force that if you want to, right? It's just a matter of uh, the time and the computing power, but that's really available. The way we've done it uh, uh, kind of like makes that irrelevant uh, because it, it requires so much time and so much effort to basically hack through each individual message that it makes no sense to do it. But five years down the road, even that way uh, can become at risk so this is why we're thinking about it and and, and literally the way we build it and the way wires architecture we claim that we are already like 70 80% ready for quantum computing so when it when it comes to security right you have a big problem today and you need to solve that today that is our current way of doing end-to-end true distributed end to end encryption right that solves that problem um, but my message is we're already thinking about the next problem uh, with that way of making security which is like uh, at least a couple of years down the road, uh, five, six, seven years down the road, we're already thinking about how to solve for that. And the way we build it uh, and the algorithms that we're using, uh, we think we are, we're we're oh. almost ready for that.
0: Well, well, I'm glad you guys at WIRE are considering it because that is something that I, I really hadn't considered. So I'm, I'm glad you guys are thinking about that.
1: <laughs> and this is what i believe in that happened that there's a new generation of communication and collaboration tool out there who can actually solve for this it is like intuitive to use it is uh, the whole instant feel uh, uh, to it how you communicate how you chat how you share document how you work on document how you set up a call how you make a conference call and all that stuff uh, that is in place and then it has a whole new set of security and security around cloud and specifically cloud-based communication is changing. And as it changes, larger organization will probably go that way because it's solving some of the security concerns that has helped them from doing it earlier. Let me try and explain, if you don't mind, Pam. No,
0: absolutely, go ahead.
1: Fine. At Wire, we believe in a couple of things. We believe utmost in privacy. We're probably the only work-based collaboration and communication tool that does not really require your phone number because we believe that that is private data. So we don't need a phone number. And yet we also work across all the different platforms as well. Second, we are fanatic about security. And what our engineering team has done, and I have the utmost respect for them, they're some of the best, most experienced and cleverest people in the industry. They build a whole new end-to-end encryption uh, infrastructure that is fully distributed uh, around this one. And for me to best explain this, uh, Patrick, is like, let me just explain, you know, cloud and SaaS uh, services uh, today, the way that uh, they basically work is that, you know, you uh, you have all the servers in the cloud, on the servers you have the logic, you do all the processing, you do all the storage, And you do all the security, and then all the users are connected with their devices through uh, through the internet. And even if that uh, cloud provider or SaaS provider uh, has encryption, 99.9 out of 100 here, that encryption is also managed completely in the cloud. And this means that the cloud provider or the SaaS provider has a copy of the encryption keys, and it actually technically allows them to look over the shoulder. It means that they can see everything that goes on have procedures in place that this does not happen, but it can happen, and if it can happen, it will happen, right? They can do it. It also means that there technically is a backdoor, because if someone gets on the inside uh, of that cloud provider, uh, it can be through a hack or it can be another kind of a backdoor, Then then they have access to the encryption keys and they can read all the content that is in there. This is why large enterprises and large organizations has been very slow in deploying cloud and even cloud uh, communication as
0: well. Sorry, sorry, just before you can do that, that's really interesting. And I, I, I didn't actually know that that was, the, I mean, I had a basic understanding of encryption and I knew there must be encryption keys, but I, I didn't really think that the cloud provider would have to have, have to keep those encryption keys. So you're absolutely right. There is effectively a, a, a safe, you know, a safe combination number written down somewhere or, or stored somewhere. So how, how, the, how does your encryption method get around that problem?
1: So we developed a distributed cloud. So we, we, we believe in a distributed cloud or edge-based computing, right? So yes, we have servers. And, you know, uh, a lot of the logic is in the servers, a lot of the processing, not all of it. Uh, some of the storage is there, but not all of it. But all the security and all the encryption is 100% distributed. So the encryption keys in Wire only exists on the devices of our users, on the desktop, on the phone. So that makes the device its own uh, uh, fortress, right? And they handle all the encryption. So we do not have a copy, which means even if we wanted to, we cannot read it. It also means there is no backdoor. Even if someone hacks themselves into the servers, everything is encrypted and they cannot read it. And we have some of the best encryption algorithms in the whole world about this one. But not only that, Patrick. The way our team basically done it is that every time that you send or receive a message on WIRE, And the message here has to be understood in a very broad context. It can be a text message, it can be a file that is shared, it can be an infirmable message, it can be a call, it can be a conference call, it can be a video call, whatever type of message in a very broad context. Every time you send and receive one of those, the encryption keys update and you get a new one. This means that every single message handled by WIRE has its own encryption keys and these keys only exist on the devices of our users. So it is a a ultra high level of, I would say, network segmentation. It's segmented down to the individual message and each message has its own encryption key. Let's be honest. Everything in this world from a security point of view can be brute force hacked, right? But if you brute force hack into the servers, then you have access to everything, right? Here you have to brute force hacking every single message, which requires a lot of time and a lot of computing power. So you just literally cannot build it more secure.
0: I take it that's a unique approach within the industry.
1: That is where that is where that is where the industry is working. But I think the way we build it uh, for enterprises and the way that we uh, we also got we also got the the privacy elements, the the fact that you don't need a phone number to do this is pretty unique. So you know we proudly claim that we are the most secure uh, collaboration communication tools for work. And we intend to keep it that
0: way. Oh, well, that is absolutely. And I realise, you know, I've, I've I've run over time there, but it, it was really fascinating. First of all, hearing your take on this on the security of the communication and collaboration industries, but but secondly, how, how you've addressed that with WIRE. Well. So Morton, thank you so much for coming onto to the podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: You're welcome, Patrick. Thank you so much for having me
0: massive thanks to wire and to morton for coming onto the podcast and explaining more about their platform and the security of collaboration the planning ahead for the age of quantum computing security wise is really fascinating so if you want to know more head to uctoday.com and there is loads of information there also don't forget about our inaugural uc awards where applications close at the end of august we will be rewarding the most innovative and disruptive companies within the unified communications and collaboration world There's an awards section on the website where you can find all the details of how to apply and more about the awards, including the profile of our four industry-renowned judges. That's it for today's episode, though. Thanks for listening.